Well, earlier this year, we were in John chapter 6, and we saw how Jesus is the true manna, uh, the true bread who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, and that he was the fulfillment of the expectations, and that if anyone was to seek him, uh, that they were to come in faith by the power of the Spirit, believing in the word and the works that the Father had given him, and in the scriptures uh, that came before and attested to his, to his coming. And in God's providence, Mike asked if I would teach today and we give Bob a little time to rest his, uh, his voice and uh, we're grateful for Eric and Bob and everyone who uh, teaches the word and uh, serves in the, the body. Uh, and also, uh, John Milton, uh, he was blind for most of the time, as I uh, recall, writing Paradise Lost and Samson Agonistes. And so on the weeks that Bob's voice is weak, uh, he, keeps, he keeps writing. Uh, and CIC ministry has benefited so many people just right here in our local body, not to mention uh, elsewhere. So maybe if you encourage him, maybe the next one he'll write in blank verse iambic pentameter. So that, that would be very, very neat to see. So... Anyway, in God's providence, uh, we're going to be looking at the flip side of the manna, and we're going to go back to Numbers chapter 11. We'll actually be starting at the end of 10. And so I'd encourage you to flip there if you have your Bibles and to follow along. And now, of course, Numbers takes place uh, in the Torah, uh, Hebrew Torah, uh, Greek Pentateuch, uh, for, for five, the five books of Moses. And Exodus through Numbers forms a, a unit uh, introducing the Israelites into captivity uh, under Pharaoh, under his heavy yoke and heavy hand, even killing their, uh, their newborn sons. Uh, in the time of Moses, and God delivers the people out of Egypt. Uh, he brings the ten plagues. He brings them across the sea and destroys Pharaoh's soldiers and chariots. He brings them through the wilderness where he begins to test them to see whether they will believe his word, uh, whether they will obey him and fear him. Uh, and this is even before the giving of the, the covenant. And as they reach Sinai, he constitutes them as a particular people in the earth, to be his people, uh, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, to serve and minister before God, to make him known throughout all the world, to all of the wayward nations that have gone astray in unbelief and idolatry uh, under all of their idols and the, the heavenly host. And then through the rest of Exodus, uh, they build the, the tabernacle, uh, the people sin at the golden calf, right in the midst, in the heart, before they even give the contributions, they contribute their gold, their silver, their, their linen to building an idol, to rebelling against God. But Moses intercedes, 
and the Spirit comes upon them, which is going to be important for, for our text. The Spirit comes upon them, and now they have giving generous hearts. Now they contribute their, their gold, their, their earrings, their, their silver and bronze to building the, the tabernacle. And then throughout Leviticus, it teaches how this people is to be a holy people set apart unto God, uh, how they can have atonement and peace with God. Uh, the Day of Atonement comes at the very heart of the book of Leviticus. Uh, and even at, around the end of Leviticus, uh, God makes very clear uh, that as far as redeeming the, the people, why did they redeem the people uh, at the Jubilees? Well, because the people are mine. Why did they redeem the land? Because the land is mine. Uh, it's all mine. The whole earth is mine. All the peoples are mine. And so with everything that they served him, with everything that they, they were as a people, uh, they were to be God's holy and righteous people. And they could believe that God would forgive their sins, even though those sacrifices, as the author of Hebrews says, were week after week, well, day after day, week after week, month after month, at all of their feasts, uh, the Day of Atonement, year after year, it continued, repeated again and again, and it couldn't perfect them, but they could believe that Yahweh would redeem them, he would forgive them, he would cleanse them of all unrighteousness, and by his spirit, he would change their hearts. And so this now brings us to the book of Numbers, which is really about two generations. Uh, there's a census taken at the beginning of Numbers for the first generation who will die in the wilderness. By and large, they will all die in the wilderness. Uh, in fact, Moses, when he was born, God delivered him at three months of age. His mother set him out in a, a tev, an ark, linking back to Noah in the Nile. And his sister Miriam oversaw Moses uh, into the hands of an Egyptian woman, the, the princess, the, the daughter of Pharaoh. And he became a prince. And God, in his providence, in his governance of all things, delivered Moses as he delivered Noah through the, the floods. And so it's making that connection. God's at work. Uh, circumstances are very different, but God is at work to redeem uh, this one. And at the end of Moses' life, uh, at 120 years, he says, uh, go up on the mountain and look. Look to the, the east and the north and the south. You will see the land, but you shall not enter it. And so, like the evil and wicked generation in the time of the flood, uh, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. His days shall be 120 years. And God said he would wipe out all flesh from the face of the earth, except for Noah and the, the eight who were in the, the ark. And it builds this complex theme, 120 years cut off. Humanity is wiped out except for Noah, uh, his three sons, their three wives, and his wife. Uh, they're all cut off. And then uh, by the time of Noah and through the wilderness, uh, the people, uh, this will be leading up to uh, the sin with the, the spies, the refusal to enter the land, wanting to go back to Egypt. Uh, God will, will say that of the, the spies, the 12 men who went out, uh, none of them shall see the land. They shall not enter. But 
Caleb, except for Caleb, who followed me fully with, with his whole heart, he shall enter. Uh, Moses, uh, you shall not enter the land. Encourage Joshua, he shall enter, because he and Caleb had a different spirit. And as for your sons and daughters, whom you said would be a prey in the land uh, to the people and would be plundered and killed, I'll appoint Joshua, he'll take them in. Uh, as for Miriam, Aaron, Moses, the first generation, they're cut off. Now, some of them, like Moses, they're believers. Uh, God will redeem them. They'll enter into his kingdom one day. But for that time, they could not enter uh, into the land of God's presence, his provision, his blessing, where the hope was that he would plant them. Uh, not too long, uh, you read after Joshua into the book of Judges, okay, Caleb, Caleb took uh, the land that, that God had prepared for him. Uh, Judah, maybe Ephraim took some of the land. But you start finding uh, the tribes didn't take the land. In fact, they were content to dwell with the people in the land. And they started engage, uh, marrying their sons and daughters, and which brought idols, other gods, uh, into their households, into Israel. And they rebelled, and so God gave them over and put them under their enemies. And on it goes with uh, David, even after the promises. Man, after God's own heart, he sins greatly and brings great hardship on his family. Solomon, the wisest man in all the earth, and the kingdom's divided after him. And so uh, we're going to start seeing the, uh, the building toward this, these two generations. The first generation, the first census, who by and large, except for Joshua and Caleb, will not enter. But with the second census, the second generation, I'll appoint Joshua, he'll take him in. And so look at Numbers chapter 10, verse 11. We're going to give a brief overview of some of these verses leading up to the section with the manna, that will be our focus in chapter 11. And so we'll see that they will set out on their journey. They're now going from Sinai to uh, the land that was promised to them, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's, it's not that far away. Uh, they, they just yeah, go to the land and believe God's word. And then along the way, we'll see them. Uh, you'll start on a good note. But then they're going to go to Tabera, place of burning. Uh, it's going to start getting real bad, real fast. And God's going to bring judgment, fire upon the outskirts of the camp uh, with their complaining. And then at Kivrot Hatava, graves of the craving, uh, there uh, the complaining, uh, the sinful passions and cravings will spread into the camp. Uh, the Israelites were arranged uh, Judah to the east with uh, two tribes with him, three tribes on each side. So Judah to the, to the east, and then uh, I believe Reuben to the south, and maybe Dan to, or uh, Ephraim to the west, Dan to the north. Three tribes on each side around the tabernacle with the Levites in between them and the tabernacle to guard it. Uh, the Levites didn't engage in the sin with the golden calf. They were to protect God's tabernacle holy tabernacle where God was worshipped and the tabernacle at the very center. So you have the tabernacle, the Levites around it uh, to the east, west, or the east, south, west, and north. 
uh, and then the, the tribes around, around them. And so as we go from Tabera to Kivrot Hatava, the sin spreads into the entire camp. And if you read into chapter 12, we won't be getting there, but even Miriam and Aaron among the Levites to the east, the very entrance of the tabernacle with Moses, Aaron, Moses' prophet, his brother and sister, they speak against Moses because of a, a Cushite woman he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And then they said, has God spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And so you see the sin, the complaining, the bitterness and unbelief spread throughout the entire camp until Miriam and Aaron. And so you're just seeing the precursor, and it's after that they go to enter the land and the spies rebel. And so this unfolding of the rebellion of the people in their wicked, evil hearts and unbelief uh, just builds throughout. So uh, we'll be looking at them now setting out and going to Tabera, and then we'll focus on Kivrot Hatava, Graves of the Craving. So uh, verse 11, in the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. And the clouds cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran, so to the north now of Sinai as they're setting out. Uh, they've celebrated the Passover, and for those who were unclean, they had another Passover the, the next month for them. So they're being reminded of God's deliverance. Uh, the people, after a year at Sinai, God had delivered them the previous year, and now they remember before setting out, and they've been constituted as God's holy people now to go receive the inheritance that God has prepared for them. And, and now skip down to, let's see, chapter, or I mean verse, verse 28. So it goes through all the tribes as they set out and with uh, the tribe of Dan as the, the rear guard. Uh, this was the order of march of the people of Israel by their companies when they set out. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Reuel. Uh, Reuel also, uh, Reuel and, oh, why did his, why did his, uh, Jethro, uh, his name slipped me, maybe uh, Yitro uh, in Hebrew. Uh, read maybe too much Hebrew and then I lose English, so. Um, I'll blame it on that. Uh, but uh, now you, you have the, uh, the son of Jethro, uh, Hobab. And Jethro brought Moses' wife, Zipporah, uh, his, uh, his sons, uh, Gershom and uh, Eliezer uh, to him, uh, speaking of when he was a sojourner uh, in the land and God's help uh, in deliverance for him uh, and the people uh, out, of, out of Egypt. Uh, just before they reached Sinai, uh, in Exodus 18, Jethro met with him, and Moses recounted all the good that Yahweh had done for him. And here this grumbling people going through the wilderness, Jethro praises Yahweh. Uh, he comes to faith in the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, 
as the one true living God and praises him for all the good that he has done to this people. And they don't praise God for all the good he's done, but Moses recounts to Jethro all that God had done for them, uh, looking back to his deliverance out of Egypt, and now to Hobab as they're about to leave. And Jethro went back to his people, but as a believer. So priest of Midian, now, now he's a priest of Yahweh the Most High, kind of like uh, Melchizedek. You're seeing a, a foretaste of, uh, well, a fulfillment in small measure of of the blessings to Abraham, that he'd be a blessing to all nations, and all nations we'd be blessed through him and his offspring after him. But now as they're setting out, Hobab, uh, Moses is going to exhort him to come along and that he will do good, looking forward to the promises that he has promised to Israel. And so it starts out on this good note in promises, and God will bless even him if, he, if he'll believe Yahweh and come with them. So, Let's just read along, uh, verse 29. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Reuel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place of which Yahweh said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will do good to you. For Yahweh has promised good to Israel. But he said to him, I, I will not go. I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. And he said, Please do not leave us, for you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will serve as eyes for us. And if you do go with us, whatever good Yahweh will do to us, the same we will do to you. So, low motivation, God's promises to Israel, and they will return the same good to Hobab. And throughout numbers, throughout uh, the, the scriptures and the history that follows and Joshua and Judges and Samuel and Kings, uh, whether Jew or Gentile, if they will believe in God and trust in him, he will be faithful to his promises and he will, he will bless them. Uh, and Hobab is a descendant, or uh, Yael is a descendant of, of Hobab, uh, of the, the Kenites, uh, who moved more to the, the north in Israel uh, in the, the times of the judges, Deborah and Barak, and Yael is the one who drove the tent peg through Sisra's skull. Uh, the, the general for the king, uh, Jabin or Yavin, uh, the, the king of the Canaanites to the north. And so God gives deliverance uh, instead of through Barak because uh, he, wouldn't, he, would, he did not trust uh, God, and he would not go just with the promise that God would be with him, but uh, Deborah, if you'll come with me, okay, I'll go. <laughs> and so God, God will give deliverance through this woman uh, instead of you. Uh, and so uh, here's a descendant. God, God will be faithful and use the descendants of Hobab uh, to even, even bless and give deliverance to his people later on. So after exhorting them, uh, we see that they set out, uh, verse, uh, began verse 33. So they set out from the Mount of Yahweh three days' journey. And the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of Yahweh was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. And whenever the Ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Yahweh, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. 
And when it rested, he said, Return, O Yahweh, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. And so this is how it was as they, as they journeyed. And so calling out, calling out to God, Arise, O Yahweh, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. Uh, defeating his enemies as he brings his people to the land that he is going to give them. And when he rested, return, O Yahweh, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. You know, all, all his myriads, uh, his, uh, his host of, of his human people that he is bringing forth through the land. And so, uh, this positive note, and now we turn to Taberah. It's all the good that God had promised. And literally, it and it happened, or let's see. Oh, that didn't link up right. Hold on. One moment. Uh, so literally, it happened uh, that the people, as they were complaining of the evil, their, their bad state of affairs in the ears of Yahweh, Yahweh heard. Uh, and when Yahweh heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of Yahweh burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to Yahweh, and the fire died down. It was quenched. So the name of that place was Taberah because, of the, uh, because the fire of Yahweh burned among them. Uh, and so uh, Taberah and said, Avativarbam, and it burned among them. Uh, and so the name of the place, uh, for, ki, uh, vam, burned among them, Esh Yahweh, Vaara, Tabera. It was called Vativar, it burned among them. And so the places are named after their sin and the judgment that came upon the outskirts of the camp at this point, on, on the fringes of the camp where the, the complaining is beginning for the people. And as they journeyed through the wilderness before to get to Sinai, they sinned, they sinned, they would not believe uh, God's signs, but he provided for them anyway. He did not bring judgment upon them. He was patient, he was merciful, he was kind. But after seeing the plagues, after seeing the signs, after going through the wilderness, after the year at Sinai and uh, God even manifesting himself and uh, his presence and fire and thunder and smoke uh, and even speaking to the people. Now God starts to bring punishment and basically the, the plagues on this sinful, hard-hearted uh, people after all this time has passed. And you saw with the golden calf and with some individuals like even Aaron's sons, Nadav and Abihu, who offered strange fire and were burned. They were consumed. And so now, pillar of cloud by day to give them shade and to lead them along the way, a pillar of fire by night uh, to give them warmth and light. Now the fire of Yahweh comes upon them in judgment. And now this brings us to Kivrot Hatava, where it will spread to the, the camp of the tribes who are camped uh, around the Levites, around the, the tabernacle. 
now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. Uh, and now actually, it says, uh, the, the riffraff or rabble uh, that was among them, hitavutava, craved a craving. So they came from Tabera, and now they hitavutava, crave a craving. And so you see the complaining, the sinful passions spreading uh, throughout the camp uh, along, the, along the way. And this rabble, well, some identify. I mean, one thing that's certain, you have this riffraff, you, ha you have this uh, mixed uh, multitude that are grumbling, uh, that are complaining, that are troublemakers along the way. Uh, some identify with the outskirts of the camp, maybe with some Gentile people, but you see, you see the sons of Israel and Gentiles sin along the way, who came with them out of the, out of the Exodus, uh, where it says that there were many others. There was a mixed multitude uh, that came out of the Exodus with them. Uh, and so there, there could be a mix, but we see that the sons of Israel join in with this uh, riffraff. Now the rabble was among them, uh, that was among them had a strong craving, and the sons of Israel, or, and also the sons of Israel wept. And so they're crying uh, and complaining and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. So they craved a craving. And the sons of Israel also, uh, they too, uh, wept and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Uh, and just count, count along. We had that we had meat to eat. One. We remember the fish, two. We ate in Egypt that cost nothing. Uh, the cucumbers, three. The melons, four. The leeks, five. The onions, six. And the garlic, seven. We had everything in Egypt. It was great. And we've got nothing here except this manna to look at. That's it. And we, we ate for nothing. It was free uh, in Egypt. We, we, had, we had it good. In Egypt, where you were slaves, where they killed your sons and threw them, had them thrown in the Nile to be killed and exposed? Really? Uh, where they put hard service and labor upon you and you cried out to God that he might save you and deliver you? You ate for free in Egypt? Uh, and earlier in Exodus 16, uh, where you have the, the manna first given, uh, they, they remember eating at the meat pots, and I don't know if that sounds quite as good as what they present here. You know, maybe it's getting just a little greener, a little greener, a little greener the farther they get away from Egypt, and God's deliverance is looking a little smaller, uh, his presence, his provision, his blessing, a little less impressive along the way, and they want to go back to Egypt where they, they ate for nothing. Uh, and yeah, these, these things uh, grew in Egypt, uh, in, in Goshen, uh, eastern delta as the Nile emptied from uh, the uh, upper Egypt to the south, lower Egypt to the north, and uh, emptied into channels into the Mediterranean uh, Sea as it flowed down. Uh, is a rich uh, breadbasket, and that's why it's hard to dig things up and uh, 
there are some massive archaeological projects going there, but it's wetlands. It, it, it's, it's wet there. And so uh, fish, so expanding on this meat that, that, that they want to eat. Uh, we ate in Egypt uh, for nothing, uh, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. And some have that, we're even, some have throats, uh, it can have to do with the passageway that air comes through, and even be associated with life or soul, uh, one, one's life. Uh, they're, they're dried up, not, not having sustenance, uh, not having uh, all of this fare that they had for free in Egypt. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. It's not even true. They could say all we have is this manna to look at. You know, it's not fully true. There is nothing, nothing, except this manna to look at. Okay, yeah, there, there is something. Dry, dusty, stale manna. And so now we don't get God's reaction right away like we did at Tabera. But the narrator is going to pause and give us a little, little background information that we might want to know about the manna. Uh, and what, if what they said was really true. And it also, it delays things a little bit to build up suspense. What's God going to do? Is his, uh, well, literally, his nose became hot, or his, his face became red hot, we'd say, or, or it burned. Uh, and then the fire came down upon him. Is he just going to wipe out the sons of Israel and destroy them? Well, we're going to have to wait to find out. So, uh, verse 7, now the manna, was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bdellium. And so, coriander seed, uh, some say is kind of like, maybe like sesame seed and, and such that, that you'd use for, uh, for food and uh, tasty and good, good texture. Uh, and bdellium, uh, its appearance uh, could be uh, whitish, yellowish, or maybe even light, light orangish. Uh, and it was desirable, uh, it, was, uh, it was fragrant, uh, I think they even be used for, for incense and spice. Uh, and it was kind of a, a resin or even like a sap that would come from, uh, from trees that they could uh, use. And so uh, its, its appearance, uh, its taste that we'll be seeing, uh, he's going to get back to the taste, but then just this is what the people would do with it. Uh, verse 8, uh, the people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with the oil, and not just oil, but hashad hashaman, or shad hashaman. Shaman is oil. Shad hashaman is the, the, the creamiest, best part of the oil when they first press it. So this is, this is the, 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 the cream of the crop uh, as far as the oil. This is the best, highest quality stuff. And so its taste, its appearance, uh, they boiled it in pots. It wasn't dry, dusty, stale. Uh, this was rich provision from God. As we said in our, our Wednesday Bible study, uh, maybe uh, some of you mothers or uh, those who, who have mothers, uh, maybe you've told your mom, Mom, uh, this, this bread is it's from heaven. Well, th this bread really is from heaven. Uh, I mean, it's from God. He, he invented, he created 
food and sustenance and every good thing that was in the garden. This would receive the very highest marks uh, that he provides for his people. It's everything that they need. Uh, and didn't they, didn't he give them quail before? Now we're told the manna continues for all 40 years. The, the quail seems to be intermittent. Uh, but they had quail. They just had the Passover uh, where they would have had meat and, and remembered God's provision and deliverance uh, for them. In fact, go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Verse 8, I believe you can also look at chapter 9, if you ever have time, uh, where it kind of frames the events at Sinai, and Moses recounting now to the second generation who's going to go into the land, encouraging them. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today. So verse 8, uh, that you may be strong and go and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess and that you may live long in the land that Yahweh swore to your fathers to give them, and to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land that you are entering to take possession of, it is not like the land of Egypt uh, from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven a land that Yahweh your God cares for, the eyes of Yahweh your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. So this land's not like Egypt where you had to dig uh, ditches and irrigate it yourself, but God will give the rains in their season uh, and provide water from heaven to water the land. So he, God will take take care of it. His eyes are continuously upon it. And so here they're going to the promised land. They're going to the inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. And that in Ezekiel even shows how, how the, the dead sea is restored, filled with fish and trees growing around, giving their fruit uh, every season uh, throughout the, the year. And so they're going to this land and they're complaining and they want to go back to Egypt. Why would you want to go back to Egypt? So let's go back to Numbers 11. And so uh, we saw a little bit. Uh, he wasn't telling us what happened. That's, that moves the narrative forward to the next events. He's telling us about the manna. He is describing it. Give, give us some information. It, it's, uh, it was like coriander seed. Uh, its appearance, like they have bedellium. And it, uh, its taste, like shad hashaman, the, uh, the, the very creamiest, best part of the oil when it's first mashed and pressed. In verse 9, when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Just provided by God uh, in this in this wilderness with the, the dew. Now we get the reactions of Moses and Yahweh. Verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone or a man at the door of his tent. And the anger of Yahweh blazed hotly, or his, uh, his face burned, and Moses was 
displeased, or in the eyes of Moses, it was bad. It was raw. And so throughout the camp, in the doors of their tents, Moses hears them complaining. And so it's, it's not the fringes anymore. Throughout the camp, throughout the tribes, to the east, the south, the west, the north, complaining against God with their sinful, cr gluttonous cravings. And so the, uh, the anger of Yahweh blazed hotly in the eyes of Moses. It was bad. It was evil. It was wrong. And so it sounds like Moses is on the same page with God. He sees the evil of the people. He sees this wickedness. Uh, Yahweh and his prophet, uh, they're in agreement, right? Sounds like it. Well, now we're going to get to the dialogue with uh, Moses and Yahweh. And there will be two interchanges. So back and forth uh, with uh, initiated, each initiated by Moses. On uh, the first, we'll see Moses lament or more of a complaint. Uh, and then we will see his doubt, uh, his, his doubt against Yahweh and his, his provision. And so first, Moses' uh, complaint. Uh, verse 11, uh, Moses said to Yahweh, why have you dealt ill, bad, or why have you mistreated uh, your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? And so he's, he's complaining about God's mistreatment of him. It's not the people's evil or bad. It's God's bad. He's mistreating Moses by placing the, the, the burden of all this people upon me. He's bearing the burden. He's going to have some more specific uh, complaints and questioning uh, of, of God, of, of God's commandment to bring this people to the land and of the people's demand for, for uh, providing sustenance uh, for them. And so why, why, why have you dealt badly with your servant and why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Well, do you ever say carry them as a, as a nurse carries a, a, a child, a nursing child uh, to the land that you swore to the, the fathers? Not quite. He did say put your hand uh, in your garment and pull it out as a, as a sign. It became white as leprous and put it back and... Uh, he did say that uh, when he commissioned them at, at Sinai, uh, the, the burning bush, uh, he, he did, after saying that he came to deliver his people, he would bring them out. Then he appointed Moses. And he said, I will be with you. I will be with your mouth. I will give you Aaron. Is Moses alone? He's given him Aaron, his brother. God will be with him along the way. He will be with his mouth. He gave him the, the signs. Uh, he gave him the staff uh, showing uh, his representative of the authority that Moses bore from God. Uh, now, when, God, when they're at Sinai, he did say, now the people that you brought out of Egypt have, uh, have sinned. <laughs> so, uh, to, to be fair, God did say that, uh, but... Uh, Moses interceded, and really, it was God bringing him out. He was with 
uh, with Moses. And that's why Moses could appeal to God and intercede because of the promises and the covenant that God had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be with them. So uh, Moses is objecting. I didn't produce this people that I should carry them like, you know, as if I'm their mother uh, to the land that you swore to their fathers. You swore to their fathers. I, I shouldn't be you pre created them. You made them a people. And so what, what am I doing? Why are you commanding me to do this? Uh, and then uh, the people's demands, uh, verse 13. Where am I to get me to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. Again, alone. And he isn't. He isn't able. We saw that with Jethro. He tried to, take, he tried to judge over 600,000 men, not counting women and children, with all their problems and such, alone. And Jethro said, what you're doing is not good. Where are you doing this alone for? Appoint, men, appoint wise and godly men who fear God and teach them to, to judge the, the, the small cases. And so Moses can't do it alone, but he's not alone. And so... Uh, I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. Uh, if I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Or literally, uh, so if, if you are treating me thus, if you'll treat me thus, uh, kill me, we'd say dead. Kill me to kill. Kill me dead. Right here, right now, if I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness, my bad state of affairs that he has. So we have this bad again and again. And he is not, he was just speaking about the good that Yahweh had promised them. To Jethro, he recounted all the good that Yahweh had done for them. And now all he can see is the bad. He's forgotten Yahweh in his midst and, and his promises uh, that he had just spoken about. And so, now, as a lament, he might not, be, he might not want, want God to kill him. Uh, I can't do this alone. It's too heavy. He's appealing to God. There's an implicit cry for help, but uh, Rachel once said to Jacob, if you do not give me children, I will die. And then Joseph Yosef, uh, he increased, but increase and give to me another son. And with Benjamin, she died in birth. And then she took idols from her father's house. Uh, give, me, give me death. You know, if, if, I, if, if you don't give me children, give me death. And so, uh, yeah, watch out asking God, uh, to give you death uh, in your ingratitude. And eventually, Miriam, Aaron, Moses, the people, they will die and will not enter the land. So it's a little precursor of, of the things to come. And so now we turn to Yahweh's, Yahweh's provision, uh, his gracious provision for Moses and his, we could say, penal retributive provision for uh, the people. And so uh, first he's going to provide 70 spirit-filled elders uh, to help Moses. And so you, you might be wondering, is God going to 
Is he going to strike Moses down? Is he going to kill him? Is he going to give him what he just asked for? No, God's going to be a very gracious with Moses. So, verse 16. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And so these judges, uh, Jethro wisely counseled uh, according to the will of God uh, that Moses should not judge the people alone, but appoint people over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens uh, who can handle the, the smaller cases and teach, teach them godly, wise men uh, following, following God and the, and the word of God. But here's the other half of the solution uh, that God needs to bring his spirit and put his spirit uh, upon the people so that they would proclaim his word and not be a complaining, grumbling people following their sinful cravings, uh, but uh, they would be filled with his spirit and proclaim his word. So the 70 in particular uh, here. And so God graciously provides for Moses. And now uh, his uh, uh, penal retributive provision for uh, the people of the quail. So, uh, verse 18, and say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of Yahweh saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, Yahweh will give you meat and you shall eat. Okay, uh, maybe they're getting what they want. It maybe doesn't sound all bad, but there's a tone that's a little foreboding uh, there. Uh, you, you, I will give you meat, and you shall eat. So, all right, uh, there, uh, you shall not eat. Verse 19, you shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or 10 days, or 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out at your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected Yahweh who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? Uh, and th these complaints. And so, uh, uh, be because, and so he says, uh, until, yet say, it comes out, me'apichem out of your nostrils, your noses. Uh, yet say, me'apichem, because you, me'astem, rejected Yahweh, who is bechirbichem, who's in your midst, uh, and have uh, wept before him and said, uh, why did this, this one, like they say to Jesus, why did this one uh, bring us out, come out, uh, Mimit's rhyme. Why did he bring them out? And they complain in the face of Yahweh, uh, in his uh, face. Be'apichem. 
And so it'll come out their nostrils now because they've rejected God. And so you have these word plays uh, throughout, throughout the way. God, it's his talionic justice, retributive justice. The punishment fits the crime. And we'll see, that there's, there's often grace mixed in with God's punishment. He could have just said, you're going to complain about the manna. Fine, no manna for you. Just take it away. Some die in the wilderness. No, the people will eat. Uh, they, they will eat. Uh, they will not starve. In fact, even after they rebel, they'll eat for 40 years in the wilderness as they die. Uh, and so God, he, he still provides. However, uh, he does bring uh, judgment upon them so that they'd know their sin. And so now uh, Moses, he commanded them, go get the elders. So uh, we'd expect him to go get the elders. Instead, uh, Moses, uh, verse 21, Moses, doubt, uh, Moses said, uh, literally, uh, verse 21 uh, the 600,000 on foot are the people of whom I am in their midst. 600,000 on foot are the people whom I am in their midst. And you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat? He said, they've rejected Yahweh who's in their midst. Now Moses is talking, I'm in the midst of this great multitude. Uh, and you said, I will give them meat uh, that they may eat a whole month? Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them, and it be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them, and it be enough for them? So he's focused on the people in his midst rather than Yahweh in his midst. And so seeing this, you might look at this people. How can you provide for this people? 600,000 men, not counting women and children. Uh, millions, uh, great, such a great multitude. Where will you provide for this people? But He's not, not focused on God, the one who provided the quail before, who's provided manna for over an entire year, who delivered them out of Egypt. He's focused on the people in his midst and not on Yahweh in his midst. So he doubts. Uh, verse 23, and Yahweh said to Moses, is Yahweh's hand shortened that he can't act and bring this about? Uh, now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So he will demonstrate this. Uh, now with the elders and then uh, with uh, the, the people and the quail. Uh, verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of Yahweh, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. So he gave the words of Yahweh. Then Yahweh came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not continue to do so, or they did not do so again. So the spirit comes upon them. Uh, and now, uh, instead of, uh, instead of, they hitavu tava, they craved a craving, now they vayitnavu. Uh, they prophesy. Uh, they proclaim God's word. They speak in accordance with the word of God. In, in the, at the, the tabernacle, when the spirit comes upon them. And so this is part of the solution for this rebellious people. They need to be taught by God. Uh, they need God's spirit to be poured out upon them. They need their hearts circumcised uh, so that they would be a people 
who, who don't complain and lust after their sinful passions, but they be grateful and proclaim uh, God's word and make it known. Uh, and now, uh, verse 26, now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested upon them. Uh, they were among those registered or written down, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And so, for whatever reason, there's a little debate. Uh, are there 70, 72? Are these another two? They're, they're written down, so they might be part of the 70, and for whatever reason, they didn't go out. Uh, if there were 72, there'd then be six per tribe, otherwise too short. But the spirit comes upon them in, in the camp, and they, they prophesy uh, in, the, in the camp where the people are complaining. Uh, and also, they were kamito in the name. They were complaining. Uh, and uh, these uh, even says, uh, verse 26, yeah, again, here, vayit navu. Uh, and we'll see other, other forms and uh, plays off of that. They prophesy. Uh, and so they're, pro they're prophesying in the camp. And verse 27, and the young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, my Lord Moses, stop them, silence them. Moses, you're the prophet of God. Even Aaron, who wears a crown holy to the Lord, who's your prophet, he only speaks by the word you give him. They didn't go out to the, to the tabernacle. Uh, and out to the town meeting, as, as they were told. And so, what are they doing? This is terrible, Moses. Stop them. You know, unless you give them the green light or the go-ahead, they can't do this. What are they doing? Well, the Spirit of God came upon them. Uh, the Spirit c comes upon whom he wills. So, uh, uh, Joshua, see, this, this is a bad thing. My Lord, Moses. <laughs> uh, but verse 29, Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Uh, would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that Yahweh would put his spirit upon them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. And so Moses recognizes now, yeah, he doubted God. Yes, he complained. But now in his humility, he recognizes, oh, that God would pour his spirit upon all his people. And now I hear a people proclaiming the word of God instead of, complaining and grumbling and following their sinful passions. And so Moses, in his humility, he's not jealous. Uh, he doesn't see that, God, that he's diminished, uh, but uh, that God would pour his spirit on all his people. So we see his provision for Moses, now the penal provision for the people of Quail. Verse 30, And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Then a wind, a ruah, spirit, wind, same term. Uh, both can signify God's presence, God's activity. Uh, that's why Jesus even plays off uh, the, the spirit. Uh, he blows where he wishes, and you know, he's like, like the wind. And so both can signify God's presence and activity in the world, whether miraculously, providentially, uh, at work. And so a lot of times there are plays off the, off the two. And so... Uh, wind from Yahweh sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp. About a day's journey on this side, and a day's journey on the other side around the camp. 
and about two cubits above the ground. And so this is a massive amount of quail. In day's journey can be, uh, often say, 12, 15 miles, uh, but it can vary uh, if you have women and children, maybe some who are pregnant, young children, caravans, that slows you down. Uh, those who are maybe fit to fight, like Abraham's men, uh, D.A. Kirsten has said, they could cover a lot more ground uh, chasing after Lot and the, the kings who went after Sodom and Gomorrah. So, uh, but day's journey all around, uh, uh, two, two cubits above the ground, so the quail uh, all, all over brought in. And it's even the season for quail, uh, but the amount we'll see here is uh, uh, astonishing. Uh, and the people rose all that day and all that night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Uh, those who gathered the least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. Uh, now, homers and ten can sometimes be used just for, like, huge numbers. Uh, sometimes they'll say homers and homers, uh, or homerim and homerim, uh, like we'd say tons and tons. Uh, to, to speak about. Uh, but uh, this amount, some, uh, if you try and number it, some number it, maybe even, I mean, upper tens of tens of millions, hundred plus million, so a massive amount. And there are some accounts of maybe million, two million plus, uh, maybe around 14th century and such, where the quail would come, migrate from the south to the north over Sinai, but this is far beyond to provide for this people for 30 days. And so God is at, at work miraculously and providentially to bring it about. And so uh, the people get their quail, the judgment, 30 days. Uh, so they'll learn their lesson, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, verse 33, while the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, uh, Yahweh's face burnt uh, was kindled against the people, and Yahweh struck down the people with a very great blow. So he struck them with a very great blow, or plague, they say. Uh, Therefore, the name of that place was Kivrohatava, Graves of the Craving, because there they buried the people who had the craving. And so now the people, their sinful passions do not stop with the first punishment, but here, while it was still between their teeth, so they're laying it out to dry in the sun, they're eating raw meat, uh, maybe the blood's still in it, uh, they're, they're rebelling further, their rebellion only continues against God, his word, his law, uh, their ingratitude. These are not a starving people with the manna. Uh, they are filled, they have all that they need, but their cravings do not stop there. They follow them all the way to the grave. Uh, and so it is uh, throughout. Uh, like Cain, uh, sin is crouching at the door or the opening. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. It wants to master Cain. Either you master sin or it will master you. And so uh, this people, uh, the, they'll die in the wilderness, the first generation, uh, Miriam, Aaron, Moses won't be able to, to enter uh, in their, their rebellion. And so you see it with, with David, with Solomon, the kingdom split apart, the wisest man in all the earth. Here's a people that need circumcised hearts, 
that needs the Spirit of God to come upon them so that they'd be a people who would proclaim his word and make him known uh, in all the earth. And that's the hope that the prophets would look forward to. Uh, they spoke about, well, Moses spoke about the, the circumcision of the heart, even under the old covenant, but looking for the time when God would pour his spirit out on all his people. Uh, and even in the new covenant, Jeremiah speaks of the day when they shall all know God, uh, and they will no longer say uh, each to his brother, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. And, and Joel uh, they're young men and young women. They, they shall prophesy. They, they'll proclaim the word of God. Uh, and in the new covenant, with the coming of, of Christ, uh, in his uh, ministry, uh, God comes in the flesh to fulfill all his promises, all his covenants, uh, the individual and corporate offices, so that after his substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection, uh, vindicating all of his claims, uh, living the perfect, righteous life in the place of anyone who would turn from their sins and trust in him, uh, and dying, bearing their sin, their guilt, their condemnation of their sinful passions, their cravings, that he would then pour his spirit upon them and not only, not only clothe them in his righteousness and forgive them, uh, their sins, but now by his spirit, uh, they would grow in an ethical righteousness, uh, in outworking, a walking new life in the spirit, uh, depending and trusting upon him, upon God, and only his spirit, his power, so that they would be a people who would proclaim the word of God. And so uh, there, are, uh, there are two options, either uh, we are uh, a sinful, grumbling people who forget God's provision, who are unsatisfied with God's provision, who do not trust in his promises. Uh, and if we pursue sinful cravings, if we will not, by the Spirit of God, flee from them, put them to death, uh, using the means that God has provided, uh, his word to instruct us uh, by his Spirit, through his word, prayer, uh, the body, fellowship, uh, all of his, his means of grace, that uh, one day those cravings, they're never satisfied. They will grow and increase, and they will take you all the way to the grave. But by turning from sin, trusting in God, and walking in his spirit, and depending upon him, uh, gradually, day by day, uh, God, he, he cleanses he cleanses our sins uh, if we if we confess them, and he will put the sins to death. Uh, he will cause us to walk in his statutes uh, and to uh, grow in obedience and holiness. And one day we have the hope of glorification and resurrection when we will never sin again. And so uh, that same message and hope that Moses had for the people in this day is really the same hope. Uh, and we, we have the revelation of the greater manna, of the true manna who's come down from heaven to give a life uh, to the world, although we've dealt with the text kind of backwards, in reverse. So anyway, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and thank you for your faithfulness, uh, for 
your presence, your provision, your blessing, your rule, uh, in your in your Son and uh, in your Spirit that you are present with us, uh, that uh, our hope and trust can uh, rest fully and completely upon you and your Son, uh, and that uh, in Him uh, you have provided all that we need for life and godliness. Uh, and we thank you for Him. Uh, we thank you. Uh, for the the true manna, the true bread who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And I pray that uh, you'd make us people who would uh, be taught and instructed in your word and we would edify one another and build one another up and we would uh, proclaim uh, the word that's been once for all delivered to the saints, uh, given from you to your son, to your holy apostles and prophets and uh, to the disciples and church throughout all ages. Uh, and we thank you for all these things and pray that they be to uh, your honor in uh, glory uh, and uh, your reputation forevermore. And we pray in your son's name. Amen.